The following content is brought to you by Mind Initiative Incorporated. The opinions expressed in the following conversation are of the hosts and do not in any way represent the opinions of Mind Initiative as a whole. Some themes in this series may be distressing or triggering for some listeners and so viewer discretion is advised. If any of the content does trigger uncomfortable feelings or cause distress, we encourage you to reach out to us via our Facebook page or seek further support from beyondblue.org or contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 for 24-7 over-the-phone support. We would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we all stand and we extend our respect to the elders, both past and present. Hey everyone, um, I'm Millie Fletcher. Hi everyone, I'm Jason. And welcome to the Mind to Mind podcast. This is a podcast where we talk about a wide range of mental health topics and how to stay on top of your mental health. So anyway, uh, today we are going to be talking about um, the issue of, uh, of reaching out to Australians living in rural locations when it comes to their mental health, about some of the services that are going on to support them. So yeah, so what, so what do you think about this, Jason? Uh, I think in the last couple of years, probably the last 10 years, I've talked a lot about services regarding mental health in the bush. Like sometimes some of our farmers are a long way away from doctors and everything else. So how do we actually get mental health to these people that might be struggling in a drought? How do we get mental health to people that might have had stock wiped out from floods or bushfires and stuff like that? Or even just struggling with traumatic events or maybe even just fighting some depression or something like that through through things that have just been happening in their life, family split ups and stuff like that. Mental mental health services in the bush need to occur, but what's the best way to get them there? Well, I have done a little bit of research about this topic and they, they basically say that the, the statistics for mental health are pretty much the same out in the bush than in uh, more urban areas like major cities in Australia like Brisbane, Melbourne, Sydney, Perth. And basically the only problem is it is harder to find proper mental health uh, services out there in remote areas because um people out there spend a lot more time in isolation. I mean, you have families out there for sure, but sometimes you just have lone workers who just work by themselves. And when they have problems, they usually bottle them up and they it, it takes a lot more effort for them to, to openly speak about what might be troubling them. Yeah, definitely. You talk about a farmer on a water run and they could just be in their car checking all their fences or checking that the water's running to all the cows and stuff. They might be in a in a car for four to six hours kind of driving around checking this kind of stuff before they get back home. And, yeah, they might come across like dead stock on the way and that might be distraught and they might have that happening day after day or frustrations of um, deer or something or camels running through fences. Um, and breaking their fences and all that kind of stuff. Like, I mean, it's part of the job, but it can be hard. And trying to talk to someone in the city, like over an internet link about what these struggles are and how they affect you to someone that doesn't really understand, it's got to be hard. And then you talk about rural services. No one wants to really provide services in the bush anymore. Like no one wants to move out in the middle of the nowhere and, start a doctor's practice or anything like that it's really becoming hard to get services out there it's a shame 
But uh, I did actually um, watch a few videos that uh, Jason did send me through um, yesterday that, that, that there are people really trying now to take an effort to actually educating people in rural areas and really getting them the support that they need. I saw this video called uh, Are You Bold Mate? And it was kind of like a uh, campaign that they started and it went actually went pretty viral and it was it, it actually became quite successful of um getting men and women but most notably men in rural areas to open up about mental health and um she she actually had a pretty cool like um easy to to follow analogy where she had something called the shitometer where um basically where it goes from 1 to 6 that's stuff shit that you can deal with once you once you go into 7 that's when things start to get pretty bad. And once it goes eight or nine, that's when you hit the point where you really need to see someone or you might do something silly. So, yeah. What do you think about what kind of services should they should they give in the bush for mental health? Well, for me, there should still be, you know, counselling services um, in in bushland towns or, you know, just like if you want to see a psychologist in like the city or in a suburb, have a couple of them dotted around these small towns and also access to to lifeline and support um, lines over the phone should be made accessible to to any house in Australia no matter how remote it is as long as it's connected to a telephone line it should work in my opinion so yeah yeah do you reckon there's any connotations in small towns of like oh there's Frank going to see the shrink again any of that kind of stuff I certainly hope not because um, we really don't need that type of negative stigma and sort of like that is sort of in a very mild form kind of a form of bullying and sort of, you know, like, oh, men are supposed to be masculine. So when something goes wrong, they de- you should default to just dealing it on your own. And I completely disagree with that. If something really is getting under your skin, you should talk to somebody about it because, you know, just having it fester inside you, that that's not good for anyone. Mm, definitely <clears throat> what do you reckon our mp should be doing mps um basically what i think is that they should you know be doing what we all think they should be doing just raising awareness and reaching out you know getting to know some of these people who probably do have diagnosed mental disorders and just um having them open up about their experiences because the more you share about your life the more you help other people who might not be brave to speak up about what they might be dealing with. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of my big concerns, and I've been thinking this for a while now, is the advent of telehealth services out in the bush. And I I just can't see a person that lives um, out in the bush working out all the time in the open air and everything else sitting down in an office talking to someone across the screen about their problems. I think health services in the bush need to be a one-on-one kind of experience and the person needs to be there to see their person, see whoever they're working with in a physical state. I'm not a big believer of mental health across telehealth services. I just don't think that that gives you a chance to engage the person in the environment that they're actually living in. I think it kind of gives you a facade. What do you think? Yeah, I I do agree with that, actually. I mean, like, it's great to have a voice on your phone or see a friendly 
face on your screen, but in the end of the day, you're not actually talking to that person in the flesh. And the connection is different than when you actually have someone else in the room with you. I mean, like sometimes speaking to someone on a screen can be isolating in a way because you know that they are somewhere speaking to you, but they're not actually, you know, in the room with you. So, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's about speaking your language. Like if you were to, I don't know, go to New Zealand and you were to talk to someone in New Zealand and they're going, hey, bro, how are you? Got your chili bin, everything else. <laughs> but they're speaking a different cultural kind of language than you're expecting. And it can kind of be off-putting in you sharing your story because you're not sure if they'll actually understand what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, I would love my psychologist to be a Kiwi because <laughs> their, um, their accent immediately cheers me up. So, yeah. I, I definitely feel like if Kev from Houseos was my psychologist, I'd just share everything. Yeah. <laughs> but I actually do have a Kiwi uh, support worker that I that I um, like to hang out with. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. How's things been going in your life? I mean, things have been going along um it's um pretty much as well as usual but there has been a rising tension a little bit lately with all the responsibilities i have you know surrounding mind initiative but also you know with um with chill with um my friend jason and me being with him on his film productions and i have a lot of things to get through before i um fly out on my holiday with my family on the 7th, 17th of october and it, and it often feels like that 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 whole day is just ticking every second closer. I just cannot reach it yet. I have to get through all these things first before I can relax. Yeah. Yeah. You feel like you can't go on holiday until they're done? Yeah, pretty much. And I sometimes have strange fears that, like, something will happen that will, you know, make me not enjoy my holiday in the way that I wanted it to. I have hearing loss fears. I've had a pretty strong hearing loss paranoia for quite a few years now ever since i had a had a experience where i came off a plane in 2015 i thought that i um broke my hearing but after about two weeks it went back to normal and i realized that it wasn't really that permanent at all but it makes me paranoid now when i go on a plane i don't have earplugs that somehow that could happen again so that's actually a pretty major concern that i have but i'm not sure if it's justified i actually don't even know if planes are, are that loud but, yeah. yeah, it's not really the loudness. It's just how long the plane, I mean, you're, you're on a plane for like eight hours. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. It's judging the decibel level with the, the prolonged period of time that makes me feel anxious. Oh, okay. And you got noise cancelling headphones and stuff as well yeah. anyway. Or just ear earplugs yeah. um, to take that all away for me. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So that's what happened last time. The plane was like really loud. Yeah, but I didn't know for sure whether I, I hurt my ears or not, but yeah. I never got them tested. And it's my hearing is fine enough the way it is. So I'm not really worried at this point in time. Yeah. yeah you yeah. got a whole life ahead of you to wreck your hearing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Bad concerts and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to wreck my hearing. But if, if I do and the old chance I do, I'll just have to deal with it, won't I? Yeah. I mean, I worry about it now, but I'm in my 40s. But when I was in my twenties, I was running around in cars with subwoofers and everything else and loud music. So I mean, 
yeah. I, I was no different during my teens. I would blast my iPod. But um, after that incident in 2015, I realised that, you know, this is actually really serious, so I stopped doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's things like mental health is worrying about, those yeah. kind of constant things, isn't it? Yeah, because, yeah, it, dealing with something like that will have a have an effect on your mental health for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you're rural, right, and you yeah. think about that kind of stuff, you might have been out and you've, like, gone, oh, did I leave a gate open that's two hours away or something like that? And that can keep you up at night. You're constantly worrying about stuff that it's not just down the road, it's it's hours away that you're responsible for. Mm-hmm. That would yeah. suck. It would, yeah. I mean, like, it's not like you, 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 like, go to work and you might have forgot something, so you might just have to drive maybe 15, 20 minutes back to your house or something. Out yeah. in the bush, this could be several hours from anywhere. And, of course, there's no public transport out in the bush. I mean, there might be buses around towns, but, I mean, like, no. No. Nah. don't even know if there's Ubers in the bush. Probably not. No, I there's not. No, there isn't. Yeah. Yeah. When I used to live in um, Yapoon, there was no Ubers. That was hard enough. Yeah. There was no Harvey Norman or JB Hi-Fi or anything like mm. that. Um, yeah. You know, there's not even really a Facebook marketplace out there. That's why we just oh. to come more back towards town because yeah. it was just there was a lack of anything. Yeah. I mean, there's also a lot less recreational um, places out there too. I mean, I guess you have the movie theatre and you have maybe – the sports arena. I mean, I I, I don't I, I haven't really been out in the bush. I've never gone inland any further than Esk. So um Okay. You got a yeah. long way to go. Yeah. But yeah, sometimes being stranded in the middle of nowhere can be an, an effect in itself. I mean, sometimes in these towns there's really nothing much to do than just go to the pub and maybe yeah. watch the sport, you know. I um, think just thinking about it, I think the furthest inland cinema might be Toowoomba. I don't think there's one. There'd be Townsville, there'd be Cairns. There's lots along the coastline. There wasn't one in yeah. the moon. But I don't think, like, if you were to say Charleville or somewhere that's more than probably three or four hours inland, there's no cinemas. Mm. I did go to a lot yeah. of Queensland. I did go to Gundawindi with my dad two years ago, and there was a cinema there, but it was very small and very old. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it is. It is funny to think that there are a lot of remote towns out there that, that don't even have cinema. You know, they don't yeah. even have access to the latest movies. So yeah, yeah. I mean, when we were traveling through remote Queensland, a loaf of frozen bread bread was seven bucks. So, mm-hmm. and there's no bakeries or anything around. It's amazing how they live. Like, because they just got to live off the land. You got to make the food that you want to eat. Definitely a different type of resilience. Yeah, um, people out in rural areas, they definitely have a different headspace than what we have out here in the cities. I mean, you know, at least when you're in the city, you're surrounded by people all the time and you get to see people. And even though you don't know these people, you at least get to see people around you. I mean, I mean, out in these places, there can be hardly anyone. So sometimes you, that must make you feel trapped in your own head sometimes when you don't have any other human that's talking to you, which is probably the case for a lot of these people in these places. Yeah. I mean, you think about it, like, are our mental health services clogged up in the city with people having trivial issues? I mean, you think about it from the bush, you're hours away from anything. If you want to go to see a doctor, it's probably 
two or three hour drive, you're mm. in the city and you can probably get to a doctor within 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like the issues for these people and then they come to the city and see the way how we live and yeah. the mental health services that we need and require. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying that no one doesn't deserve mental health, but it, it can be clogged up from things that probably aren't really that bad. And then when you have people out like the bush, they probably think like, oh, the problems that I am dealing with, it's not serious enough to go and see a doctor. And so they don't see a doctor and over time these things build up and become worse over time to the point where something can occur that is serious. Yeah. And you're preventing that from happening. And what do you reckon about it in the end? Like what's your final thoughts about rural health in the bush? It should be doing better than what it is. That's really all I have to say. And for city slickers, maybe go and spend some time in the bush and maybe it'll improve your mental health. Yeah. I mean, there is something that there is therapeutic benefits to living out in the country for sure having less noise being more with nature but it could also get pretty desolate out there as well yeah yeah i mean we know loneliness does does affect mental health and we definitely know that the quality of your relationships you have with people is a good indicator of how much mental health kind of issues you'll have if you if you're a lonely person, then you tend to will have depression and anxiety and stuff like that. So, yeah. So yeah, I would say um, better internet services, um, but mainly better face to face services um, out in inland outback Australia, rural Australia, and more affordable and more easier to access. So that's basically what I what I think. Anything else you want to talk about tonight? Um, I think another thing that we should probably discuss is the um the upcoming referendum, maybe. Oh yeah. Yeah. Of how that might be affecting people, the oncoming pressure to, to pick a side. Yeah, it's very I'm noticing it's very divisive at the moment. There's a a lot of I'd say just really sports team rhetoric. You're either on one side or the other. And if you're not on their side, they're kind of like trying to kick you for not being yeah. on their side and, yeah. and stomp on your values and everything else, which I think is just really crap. Yeah. So, um, yeah, um, about two weeks ago, my parents actually did give me um, the official slip that um, argued against both sides. And I read both of the sides. And even though I agreed with what they both had to say, I still stand on yes. Yeah. Because I think it's the uh, the more progressive and more, you know, I guess the uh, the braver choice, I guess. Um, but you, you have no votes arguing that it is a permanent choice and cannot be in, undone. So if it goes badly, people it says that we can't undo it. But I'm not entirely sure about that. I haven't read too much into it. I just I'm just standing on this on this side. So yeah, yeah. I mean. If we if we vote yes or no, the conversation's already started. So Australia's never going to be the same now. And I think for a lot of people, the conversations that we're having now is really showing the true colour of Australia mm-hmm. and maybe why the Aboriginal people and the Torres Strait Islanders have asked for the voice in the first place because there's so many people that are just shouting misinformation and... Um, it's it's probably really distressing to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. 
Like there's people out there that I can't even watch a four-wheel drive video talking about Uluru and mm-hmm. there's a bunch of comments going, it's not Uluru, it's Ayers Rock. Yeah. And it's like that's that was settled years and years ago. Why bring up that kind of stupid stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, and I see a lot of people trying to justify that if the voice gets in, suddenly the world's going to gonna blow up. And it's like, well, for 97% of Australia, it doesn't affect us. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't. But mm-hmm. for 3% of Australia, they actually, for that 3% that really distrust government just because of the stolen generation in Queensland, there was a whole lot of stolen wages that was happening. There's government charts that you can go on to Google and probably um, look at the images on how to how to breed out the black of Aborigines and stuff like that. There's a whole lot of stuff that is sown distrust in Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islanders, and they don't really want to talk to white people. And if you look at the 60 Minutes episode, probably I think it was about three or four weeks ago where it talks about the New Zealand system, they have designated people um, within within their Maori system, they go and talk to the government. It's very much like the voice, except for it goes a lot further. Mm-hmm. But people who are comfortable talking to white people are designated to be able to talk to white people. And when you go to, when you listen to like the 60 minutes report and stuff like that, a lot of the Aborigines out in Tennant Creek don't want to talk to white people because they simply don't trust them. So if you don't put someone there that actually has the authority to talk on other people's behalf, then they're not going to come forward and talk about their issues in an open way. You do need Aboriginal representatives that are willing to talk on behalf of people that just don't trust, don't dislike. Uh, Aboriginals speak totally different languages as well. So they really don't know English as well as we, we, the concept of Australia, think they do because a lot of them, they get taught their language for their first 10 or so years within their, their community and then they're fired off to high school and learn English that way. Yeah. There's, okay. a, lot of, there's a lot of complex stuff that normal Australia doesn't know And I think a lot of that no care isn't interested in learning that kind of stuff. They just want to parrot that the constitution is going to change and the world's going to end. I think that's really poor form. Well, you did say something that did actually open my eyes a bit of that this, this referendum was actually brought forth by the Aboriginal community. Hearing that, I'm definitely going to vote yes, because like there is, there is misinformation surrounding this thing, but now knowing that this is something that the um the indigenous community actually wanted to put forward, then I'm going to vote yes, and it really is as simple as that. Yeah. But I kind of want to not watch the news at all until that day. Well, yeah. I've been watching historical stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a TED talk from four years ago that you can watch has a guide describe the Uluru Statement from the Heart. So before any of this kind of stuff was announced or anything else, he takes you through what they're trying to achieve back then before politics wasn't involved. And it's a really good kind of 
description of them giving us an invitation in the voice to engage with them in a way to be able to deal with their problems. I mean, we kind of think of it as as we're offering them something, but it's actually the other way around because in their minds, Australia has treated them so poorly in the past, they're just willing to wait us out until they get their turn to kick us away. So instead they've gone, okay, well, the only one thing that we need is a constitutional change to get the voice, and that's us giving you an invitation to help us deal with these kind of problems. Otherwise, we're just going to continue in the way how we're doing and bettering ourselves and ignoring the rest of Australia. So um, anyway, as always, thanks for listening to us uh, speak about this topic and listen to the podcast. Um, I hope this uh, episode has put your mind in a better place and has uh, raised um, your, your awareness and opened your eyes a bit about this issue. Um, as always, um, if anything we said um, made you feel uh, distressed or, or, or uncomfortable or anything like that, just remember that um, there are support lines you can call offline on 13 11 14. They're always just one call away. But anyway, um, that's us. So um, thanks for listening and have a good night. Yeah, have a good night, everyone. And no matter which way you vote, don't tread on other people's opinions while doing it. Be kind. Yep, I agree. Night all. See ya.